Welcome to the tape ministry of Chapel Hill Presbyterian Church, whose mission is to present everyone mature in Christ. It is our desire that the tapes of these services and messages from God's Word will touch lives deeply and encourage a closer walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you wish to contact the church for any reason, please phone us at 253-851-7779 or write us at Chapel Hill Presbyterian Church, Post Office Box 829, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. At the end of the first section of the recording, please turn the tape over to hear the rest of the service. Now may God richly bless you as you join the people of Chapel Hill in worshiping the Lord and listening to the good news of Jesus Christ. They're doing what they're doing. We listen to this glorious music. Hear a report on missions from Russia. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good day for goosebumps today. We continue this morning in our study of the series of, uh, as we're going through the book of Revelation. I've been told by our tape people that we're breaking all records on tape sales. So apparently we're touching some nerves and speaking to some needs that need to be spoken to. So that's good. Uh, as you, uh, by the way, if you're interested in some extra credit, and who isn't, uh, Christianity Today, uh, the current edition of Christianity Today is focused on the book of Revelation. It's one of the best things I've ever read in magazine form on the book. So I would urge you to go out and get it. You will thank me for it. It is really fine work. We continue on our series talking about You've Got Mail. And we are making our way through that postal route that I told you about. We started in Ephesus. And Jesus was encouraging the church of Ephesus to overcome their blahs with a renewed passion. We move north to Smyrna on the beautiful coastal town of Smyrna. And Jesus encouraged the people of Smyrna to hang in there, to overcome adversity by hanging in there, by stepping, stopping, breathing, just continuing on. Last week, we moved a little inland uh, to the church of Pergamum, built on that great hillside. And we listened as Jesus was encouraging them to overcome idolatry. Don't let this world and its culture influence you, influence your faith. Stand firm with hope for what you know to be true. Now we begin to turn to the east, and, uh, and we come to the city called Thyatira. And uh, our, uh, our little visual parable for this morning, let's see what pa- parcel we have this morning. Overcoming immorality. Think about it. Let's read together. Revelation chapter 2. Beginning with verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching... She misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds." Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, 
To you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what, I, what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over all the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them like pieces, to pieces like pottery. And just as I have received authority from the Father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Speak to us now, Lord, on this difficult but important issue. We who are a culture steeped in immorality, speak to us of how we might overcome it through the power of your Spirit. Amen. Thyatira was a pushover. Unlike Pergamum that was built on a hillside and so provided itself a natural citadel, unlike Smyrna that had this wonderful natural harbor that you could actually close off in the event of your being attacked by your enemies, Thyatira was a pushover. It was situated in a valley on a river, hills all around it, and in fact they had been invaded many times. The things that we have seen in the previous churches, were they were not known for. Great temples, great fortifications, great libraries, great theaters, that was not Thyatira. But one thing Thyatira was known for, it was a place of trade. It was known for its trade. It was a center of trade. Somehow all of the traders came through there and it was the centerpiece of who they were as a city. In fact, we know one woman who made her money. Uh, she came from Thyatira. She was a tradeswoman who, who received her training and background in Thyatira. Only when we meet her, she's not living in Thyatira. She's living in Philippi and she is selling purple cloth. Do you remember her name? Lydia, she was from Thyatira. So apparently, the, the work of Thyatira, the trade connections extended all the way across the Aegean Sea to the other side. That's how uh, much that had impacted them. This is what was going on in Thyatira. When uh, Jesus writes, uh, speaks the words to the church of Thyatira, as he does with most of the churches, he begins with praise. Did you see that? Take a look at what he says to them. He tells them that they are hard workers. He, he lauds them for having demonstrated their love and their faith through their acts of service and their perseverance. And he says something that's a good thing to hear. You've even gotten stronger as you've gone along. Did you see that? He said, you are doing more now than you used to do. You're getting better. You're getting stronger. You're doing more. That's good for you. Good on you, he says. Praises them. And then we come, though, to the dreaded nevertheless. You hate to hear that from Jesus. You hate nevertheless. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. Who was this Jezebel? It was probably not her real name. Last week we read how Jesus, speaking through John, takes an Old Testament figure to make a New Testament point. What was the figure that he drew from last week? Were any of you here last week? (laughs) Remember? Balaam. Balaam, remember? This week it's a new figure. It's a new person out of the Old Testament. And this time it is Jezebel. The name has come to be synonymous with a conniving, treacherous woman. But who was she? We find her story in 1st and 2nd Kings. You ought to go back and read it if you want some gory reading for your devotions tonight. Jezebel was the wife of Ahab, king of Israel. And Ahab was a horrible king, one of the worst ever. Listen to him as he is described in 1st Kings 21-25. There was never a man like Ahab. Now that's saying a lot when you know the kings of Israel... 
There was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. She was the power, the evil power behind an evil throne. He goes on to say, he behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols. Jezebel in the Old Testament was a treacherous murderess. She murdered many of the prophets of God. She murdered a a man named Naboth simply because he owned a piece of land that they wanted to have. And so she set up his murder. But worst of all, Jezebel used her influence over Ahab to urge him and the rest of of Israel towards the worship of Baal. And this worship included temple prostitution, both male and female temple prostitution. So when you read the text this morning and it talks about immorality, adultery, it is talking about idolatry and it's using adultery and immorality as a metaphor. But more than that, because there was actual sexual immorality that was tied in to the worship of these false gods. They had temple prostitutes, male and female temple prostitutes. And to sleep with these people in these temples was considered an act of worship, or so they said. Like the Jezebel of the Old Testament, this Jezebel, whoever she really was, whatever her name really was, who apparently was a part of the Christian community, supposedly, was leading the Thyatiran Christians down a path of pagan idolatry, stained with temple prostitution and other sexual immorality, and Jesus would have nothing of it. Any of you figured out what the basketball represents yet? You're not watching current events then if you can't figure this one out. This is an easy one. Last week, the licorice, I can see how that might have been a little tough. Wilt Chamberlain is exactly right. Last week, Wilt Chamberlain died, untimely death, 63 years old. One of the greatest athletes. He dominated his his sport in a way that very few athletes ever do. I wasn't quite old enough to be uh, paying attention to his games, but many of you were. How many of you remember the 100-point game? That's uh, remarkable. Remarkable. Uh, He was one of the greatest athletes that ever played basketball, ever. But uh, Wilt Chamberlain is remembered for something else. In his autobiography, Wilt Chamberlain made an incredible claim. He claimed to have slept with 20,000 different women and recorded it in a journal. First of all, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Someone did the math, figured he'd have to have slept with 1.2 women per day, every day since he was 15 years old, to accomplish the feat. So let's imagine that he's exaggerating. Maybe it wasn't 20,000 women. Maybe it was just 10,000 different women. Maybe it was just 5,000 different women, the size of Gig Harbor. Now, I didn't go there. You guys are bad. (laughs) If it is true, if any of it is true, It is a detestable record of immorality and abuse. It is a horrible thing. If it is true, it is a detestable legacy that, as far as I'm concerned, sullies all of the great accomplishments of this man on the basketball court. And it serves as a graphic, dare I say, pornographic illustration to the theme that presents itself to us this morning out of this text. How do we live faithfully, we Christians, in a sex-saturated culture? How do we overcome immorality? I would say, first of all, we do so by telling the truth. There's not a lot of that going around these days. Jezebel gained her power, interestingly, if you pay attention, she gained her power by lying to the people. Verse 20, take a look. Verse 20 says she was misleading them in her teaching. Verse 24 says, again, condemns her false teaching, which purports to give them deep secrets. In the end, Jesus says, 
You don't need new deep secrets. You don't need this false teaching. He says, hold on to what you have. And I believe what he's saying there. Hold on to the truth you already have. You don't need these lies. We begin to grapple with immorality in this culture by telling the truth about it. So this morning I want to do some truth telling. The truth is, immorality has serious consequences. Verse 22. It says, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering... And I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. Again, I think this is a metaphor for all of the idolatry. But he's choosing the metaphor that most aptly fits that circumstance. He says, she is going to suffer. And all who join her in that bed are going to suffer. Too rarely these days are we willing to consider the price we will pay if we choose to believe the lies of Jezebel about sexual activity. The truth is, when we practice sex in any way outside of God's divine plan, which is marriage between man and woman, we suffer. We suffer. But that's not what our culture tells us, is it? How often do the sitcoms and TV show anyone suffering because of a moral lapse? They jump friskily from bed to bed to bed with no apparent emotional or spiritual or physical impact. But it's not the truth. In the first case, there are, it's the ongoing danger of STDs, sexually transmitted diseases. Do you know that there is now an AIDS virus that is resisting this drug cocktail, which has so effectively held it in check for recent years, in recent years? Now they have a new virus that, that's a killer virus, a super AIDS virus that they don't know how to control. And of course, that's not to mention the good old standbys like genital herpes and gonorrhea and syphilis and chlamydia. And what are the psychological impact? I have ministered to too many people who gave in and slept with someone who was not their spouse and ended up carrying a huge burden of guilt and shame in some cases for years and years and years. Spiritually, sexual immorality is one of the great barriers to prayer that I know of. When you are involved in sexual immorality, you cannot look God in the eye. Your, your eyes are downcast. You cannot tell him the truth about what you're doing, and so you end up not being able to tell him the truth about anything, and your prayers are empty and useless to you. And not only does it eat away at your relationship with God and with yourself, sexual immorality is even bad for your relationship with your sexual partner if they are not your spouse. Did you know that the incidence of divorce among those who have sex together before they get married is twice that of those who abstain from sex before they get married? If that doesn't give you pause to consider whether you want to sleep with your fiancé or not, I don't know what would. Not only do you bring pain and guilt upon yourself, you bring it upon your partner too. I spoke to a man recently who, after 15 years, went back to a previous girlfriend to seek forgiveness for an inappropriate sexual relationship. And that woman, after 15 years, mind you, was bitter and unforgiving. Even though she was now married and very much in love with her husband, she could not let it go. The scars of immorality are deep and painful and long-lasting. That is the truth. The truth is sexual immorality is particularly insidious because it scars you in a way that other sins do not. God created sex so that it would make an indelible impression. God created it as the glue that would hold marriage relationships together. And when two persons give themselves to each other sexually, it is the most vulnerable and intimate expression between them that is possible. It is supposed to make an impact. There is no such thing as casual sex. There is no such thing as a one-night stand. 
And because the memories and the emotional baggage that attends the sexual act stays with you for the rest of your life. God intended for it to be so. What does the Bible say acts happens in the act of marriage? What does God do to those two people? The two become one flesh. They are melded together. Every sexual partner takes away a piece of your soul. Recreational sex is a lie, and we must say so. The truth is, our culture is sex-crazed. We are being steeped in a rotten stew of sexual lies. And TV is probably the worst culprit because it's so readily available to us. In the early years of the show, I loved watching Friends. I thought it was funny. I thought it was clever. I thought it was well-written. I cannot stand watching it now. I do not watch it now. Because the focus of every show is sex. And I believe I'm correct in saying that now those three male characters and three female characters have managed, with the exception of the brother and sister, and that may be coming next, to sleep with every other male and female character in the show. None of them are married to each other. And furthermore, there is hardly a prime time sitcom that does not have a homosexual character or a homosexual subplot. Spin City, Mad About You, Friends... Will and Grace just announced that they're going to make TV history with the first male-to-male kiss. And that's just the stuff of nighttime TV. I don't watch them, but I understand that the daytime soaps are as bad or as worse, or worse. These are lies. These are lies, and we must say so. The truth is, every institution we 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 might hope to aid us in restoring morality, the very institutions we would hope for that often work against us. Our own judicial systems, sometimes our own educational systems. Even Canada is facing this. In B.C., a Supreme Court justice recently ruled that child pornography should not be a crime because the law against it violates the Charter of Rights and Freedoms of Canada. And quote, this is what was said, there is no evidence that demonstrates a significant increase in the danger to children caused by pornography. This is a lie, and we should say so. Here's some more truth. Handing out condoms to your children is not the answer. Sex education programs that break down God-given modesty that was intended to protect young people from sexual sin before they were ready for sex is not the answer. Now, the typical response you will get when you make such a statement is you're just being naive. Kids are going to have sex anyway, so you might as well teach them how to protect themselves. It is not true. It need not be true. Teen birth rates and sexual diseases have skyrocketed during the years we practiced our present educational policies of safe sex. And despite what we are being told, did you know that recent review of national data indicates that teen birth rates are falling? And why are they falling? Not according to the research, because they are using more condoms, but because more teens, especially boys, are abstaining from sex, according to the Washington Times. Here's the last piece of hard truth for us this morning, my brothers and sisters in Christ. When it comes to sex, there is not much difference between those of, who call, those of us who call ourselves born-again Christians and those who don't, as far as our behavior is concerned. I wish that I could say things were different, radically different in the Christian community, but they are not, according to statistics. Did you know that there is very little difference in the levels of sexual activity between Christian and non-Christian unmarried persons? Did you know that statistically the level of sexual activity within a, high school, within a church high school group will be about the same as that of an unchurched group of high school kids across the country? I need to say parenthetically, I don't think they've interviewed our kids. 
I think we're doing better than that. But I also know that it is a challenge even within the Christian community. The sad truth is that Jezebel is alive and well in the church of Jesus Christ. So listen to me this morning. If this affects you, listen to me. If this is your area of struggle, you listen. There are very few people who enter into sexual sin who do not know that they're doing wrong. The problem is after a while they become numb to it. They begin to pretend that there's nothing wrong with what they are doing. They convince themselves. They listen to others who tell them it's okay. But there was a time when your spirit was soft towards the Lord and your immoral behavior caused you guilt. Remember that moment. Remember that day. For the Spirit of God was trying to speak to you then. And it might very well have been that it was the voice of the Lord saying to you, stop what you are doing, turn around and go the other way and experience the forgiveness that you need to have. Sexual sin is not the unforgivable sin. It is no more heinous than any of the other sins. It just impacts us in a, in a deeper way than do most. And I want you to notice the good news that is here. Did you notice in your reading that Jezebel had the chance to stop? Did you see it? She had the chance to stop what she was doing. Verse 21, Jesus says, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. I value this part of this text because it reflects to me God's patience with us, us sinners, who as we seek to make to bring this part of our lives also under the lordship of Christ. God understands how strong sexual drives can be. He made them that way. He gets it. I remember well my struggles with sex as a single person. You pray for God's strength and mercy and purity and forgiveness. And just when you think you have control over that part of your life, you discover to your shame that you do not, and then the battle goes on. And by the way, those of you who are single think all I do need to do is get married, and that will take away my struggles with sexuality. You've got another thing coming. And I want to urge you, single, married, young and old alike, keep on fighting. Keep on fighting. Don't let the lizard of immorality sink its claws into you. If you are a high school student who's thinking about having sex with your girlfriend, don't. If you are having sex with your boyfriend, stop and repent and ask God's forgiveness and tell someone who will hold you accountable. If you're cheating on your wife... I beg you to stop and get help. If you are thinking about cheating on your husband, I beg you, stop thinking about it and get help. If you're living with someone who is not your spouse, make it right. Get married. And if you're not sure that you want to get married, separate so that your heads can clear and you can make good, godly decisions. But stop doing that. What is that saying to your community? What is it saying to... What is it saying to the Lord? If you are caught in the throes of internet pornography and it is capturing millions of people, it is the biggest growth industry in the internet, tell someone. Break your computer. Do something. And if you're struggling with homosexual temptations, I plead with you, don't buy into the lie of the world that says it's okay, that it's part of God's creation. It is not. It is a distortion of God's creation. And you will never be happy if you embrace this lifestyle. Well, that's two weeks in a row of not a whole lot of laughter. 
That's two important messages that we must hear today. And so with the words of Jesus, I say, He, she who has ears to hear, let him, let her listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. As the ushers come forward, let us pray. Lord God, these are hard things to hear. It is a hard thing that we face. We are surrounded by this, and we don't get much help from a culture that simply urges us to move farther and farther away from your call in our lives. We pray your forgiveness for it. I pray that you would be with us right now as we are considering these words that you have spoken to us. Give us ears to hear. Lord, we must tell the truth about this and so many other things. And now we're going to receive an offering as an expression of our love and devotion to you. Lord, would you use this money to help us tell the truth to a culture that believes its own lies? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.